Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and journalist who twice a week discusses military matters while also adding in a little motivation, wisdom, and history. I do my best to cover our military, where it's at, what they're doing, where they might be going, and any conflicts and hotspots that could lead to military intervention. Besides covering this news, I also try to share some motivation and wisdom with each episode while also working as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So, once a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive political and news figures who are ripping apart this great country just so they can reach a higher office or gain more followers and add dollars. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. While we face great challenges as a country, America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point. And they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the October 27th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. In this dis- this edition, we'll be discussing several things. We'll start with the latest news about China, and there's two big pieces of news there that you really need to hear. And then we'll move on to the following, which is... Uh, one topic involves Russia now falsely claiming that Ukraine might use a dirty bomb on its own territory, which of course makes no sense. So why are they saying it? We'll dig into that a bit. The Progressive House Caucus issued a letter calling for a negotiated settlement to end Russia's war in Ukraine, but then they withdrew it. I'll explain why they did and what I think is the bright spot from this action. We'll also cover briefly the, uh, that Russian drones are increasingly raising concerns in Norway. There have been seven arrests already, and we'll explore what's going on there. Uh, We'll talk just a bit about a deadly raid by Israeli troops against a new organization of Palestinian fighters who also happen to use TikTok, and they are rallying, these fighters are rallying the Palestinian people in a way that hasn't been seen in years. And then there's also the news out of Haiti. Things are getting pretty ugly down there. If you haven't heard what's happening in an island country that, as a reminder, is only a short distance from America, you might want to keep that on your radar. I'll talk about that for just a bit. And then finally, I'll cover a short story to remind us that the cost of freedom isn't cheap, even in peacetime. And then, as always, we'll end with some motivation and wisdom. And I know that's part of the best part of every episode. As I said earlier, the biggest news of late is two big announcements regarding China. The first is U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that China is speeding up its potential invasion of Taiwan and that China has decided it will use force to reunify with Taiwan, which is something it's never stated in the past. So Antony Blinken said this. That was obviously pretty big news, to say the least. And then backing up this news is the appointment of uh, President Xi Jinping for a third term, and he's also pushed out a couple of rivals. So that's the big news coming out of China. And let's begin with the uh, increased threat of of an invasion or use of force. Obviously, Secretary Blinken made pretty big news when he said China had rejected the status quo in regards to the situation with Taiwan. And I'll share just a bit from a story on uh, Reuters, but This was quoted in a lot of news sources. But from the story, which I have linked in the source notes, this is a quote from, again, the Secretary of State, Blinken. And he said, What's changed is this. The decision by the government in Beijing that the status quo was no longer acceptable, that they wanted to speed up the process by which they would pursue reunification. He added that China has also made decisions on exerting more pressure on Taiwan and holding out the possibility of using force to achieve their goals if pressure tactics do not work. Quote, this is what has fundamentally changed. And again, this was said by Secretary of State Antony Blinken. 
So that made just huge news. And not only the part about using force, but especially the part about speeding it up. That is, um, you know, it's been said quite a bit in, as we've talked about on here, that China could invade Taiwan by 2027. It's obviously five years from now. But if you've got the Secretary of State saying they could speed that up, well, that speeds up a lot of timelines and a lot of pressure and tension and anxiety on the world stage. So when a Secretary of State says something like that, that's a big deal. And so it made a lot of news and a lot of people, you know, sort of freaked out after it was said. Now, normally, if I was a typical media outlet, I would just absolutely blow this up and I would try to gin up re ratings and say, you guys got to keep tune in next week. I'll have more about this and blah, blah, blah. Get everyone, tell your friends, get the eyeballs, get, get the listeners. But that's not how I work. And so after the news was made, I thought it was a little odd that he said this. And uh, he said in another form that pretty much the same thing that, he didn't specify a date, but a faster timeline. I have a link to that source as well. All of it made news, but to me, I started digging on it because I thought, wow, like, could it be that this is definitely going to happen faster and it's definitely going to happen? Because China still has time to choose a different course. And it's, you know, Secretary of State saying that. I don't know. So I wanted to dig a little. In my opinion, it appears that maybe it was a little bit of an overreach by Secretary Blinken. And I'll give just one pretty solid piece of uh, information that kind of makes my point. Um, there was a recent Pentagon briefing, and of course, one of the first questions asked by a reporter there to the Pentagon spokesperson was, and I will read the question, two questions on China. Secretary Blinken said yesterday that Beijing was determined to pursue unification with Taiwan on a much faster timeline. Does Secretary Austin, who is the Secretary of Defense and who would have access to all of this same intelligence, obviously, so that's just me throwing that in there, but so does the Secretary of Defense, Austin, agree with the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken's assessment? And secondly, the U.S. military has assessed that China might have the capability to invade Taiwan by 2027. Is there any change in that assessment? So there you go. Two great questions given to the the head Pentagon spokesperson. He's a general. His name is General Ryder. So here's his answer. He had to have known, absolutely had to have known these questions were coming. Here was his answer. And you'll see, this isn't exactly the kind of answer that's like, oh, we see it speeding up, blah, blah, blah. He says, Quote, so we continue to see China as the pacing threat. That's a term that the administration has been using for months and months now, if not years. Um, and he continues, I don't have any specifics to, you know, any comment on Secretary Blinken's comments, specific comments on those other than to say, I think within the United States government, we all agree that we need to continue to work closely with our allies and our partners in the region and throughout the world, really, to highlight the fact that China continues to pose a challenge. And so we'll continue to do our part to preserve a free and open Indo-Pacific, again, working closely with allies and partners. But beyond that, I don't have anything new to provide. Thank you. That's what his answer was. I'll read the last sentence again. But beyond that, I don't have anything new to provide. So I don't want to reduce the tense and, you know, quite real possibilities that China might use force in the future. But to me, I think if there was some new intelligence or something, I think the Pentagon would have been on the same page. And so I think Secretary Blinken might have just slightly got over his skis just a tad and scared a lot of people. Now, maybe people need to be scared because in today's crazy TikTok, Twitter, low attention span world that Western audience folks live in and um, unfortunately live in, maybe you got to maybe you got to scare people and say, hey, a few years down the road, this could happen. But whether he meant to or not, 
he said it, but to me, it doesn't seem the Pentagon's on the same page. Especially if you want to be critical, you could say, you know, a pe the Pentagon almost always wants more weapons, more systems, bigger budgets, etc. It's like any bureaucracy. And so, if there was ever a time to say, absolutely, we think it could happen sooner, that was the time, and that's not what they said. Again, General Ryder said, I don't have anything new to provide. So there you go. I'm not going to try to spin this up. Part of what I want to always do is just be the rational, calm voice in the room. I know that's not what most people get in their media, but unfortunately we have too much media that's on the other side of that. That's all about the flashy graphics and scaring the crap out of everyone. I'm not going to do that. And so I don't think there's any new news. And literally, it isn't just me saying that. That's the head spokesperson for the Pentagon. And I, once again, will read the quote. I don't have anything new to provide. So there you go. Let's put a little water on those statements by Secretary Blinken. Now, I do have to balance that out, though, with the reality that the other part of the news in China is the leader of China definitely strengthened his hand this weekend. And he is more prepared for such a possibility of an invasion than he was even just a few days ago. Now, again, this news made lots of outlets throughout the country. And I've got just a link to one of them in, the sub, uh, in my Substack notes. And uh, President Xi Jinping, he begins his, he was appointed to a third five-year term. And the most important part of that is he pushed out two very experienced rivals, and one of whom was trying to reform the country, and the other could have become the next president and basically replace him. He got them gone. They're both gone now. So he made some moves that were not expected. And I wanted to share just a bit from, this is from an NPR correspondent out of Beijing. He's covered China for 20 plus years. And his name is John Ruwich. R-U-W-I-T-C-H, John Ruwich. can barely say the name, so I apologize. I wanted to quote from him. He was interviewed on NPR. And so again, this is a guy, he speaks Mandarin. He's been there covering this area for 20 years. And this is what John Ruwich said. The big headline, as you say, is Xi Jinping getting another term. He's consolidated power in the party and in the military. He's eliminated rivals. The way it all went down this week just bolstered his power, and it surprised a lot of observers, frankly. The country faces huge challenges, though. Country being China, obviously. Particularly in economics and on the global stage. And it's really hard at this point to see who's left in the inner circle to stand up and offer criticism or even an alternative viewpoint to the way Xi Jinping wants to run things and that's worrying. So I thought that was a great quote by him. So there's not going to be much resistance to President Xi at this point. He's going to be able to do whatever he wants. And China continues to face this massive fork in the road. And they are going to have to decide if they want to go down a course where they're further isolated from the global economy, uh, where they you know, basically run their economy into the gutter. Which is crazy because we all remember just years ago, everyone talking about China's economy and it was going to surpass America's and they had it all laid out. And unfortunately, they've started down a road with human rights situations in Hong Kong. Um, obviously, the Uyghur people with the threats of invading Taiwan. And so Western companies are fleeing and we're increasingly moving toward a situation where China claims and President Xi that he is possibly going to basically wreck his country in order to try to take back Taiwan. So my whole point in all of that is he's definitely in a position to, you know, do this from a political perspective, from a military perspective. There, there's obviously larger doubts. Um, they're definitely ramping up and in five years, a lot can happen. But uh, I just wanted to kind of tamp down the news from Secretary Blinken because, to me, all the media ran with that like they always do. And and I know you got to cover and quote 
heads of state, such as a secretary of state. And so, but I think you can sometimes put it in context. And a lot of times reporters and analysts, the folks on the news, they're not covering this stuff every week like I am and in the weeds. And so they just see this statement and all they know is they've been talking about, you know, Tom Brady or John Fetterman and his health concerns and all these other things. And it's like, oh, Secretary of State Blinken said this. Let's just cover this and put up some flashy graphics and scare the crap out of everyone. And that's what they do. And you're walking by the TV and about to flip the channel or go back to your work or something. And you're like, oh, I better watch this for a couple minutes because we could be at war with China soon. And oh, by the way, it's been a week or two since we've talked about nukes with Russia. So there we go. That's how our media operates. It's horrible. And that's why our people are so poorly informed. All right, so we've wrapped that up pretty well. Let's move away from China and on to the next topic. Let's move to Russia and Ukraine. As you've probably heard, Russia is now falsely claiming that Ukraine might use a dirty bomb on its own territory. If by chance you haven't, I've got a link to a story in the source notes, but you can find stories about this everywhere. And, of course, it makes absolutely no sense why Ukraine would, you know, blow up a dirty bomb on its own territory that would make the place uninhabitable for years and years, most likely. For those who don't know, of course, a dirty bomb is, it's not, it's not like a nuclear weapon explosion that wipes out blocks and blocks and miles and miles of territory. A dirty bomb is just simply a regular explosive that has you know, some type of contamination or radioactive waste on it so that when it blows up, it's it's basically more of a weapon of fear, but it would freak everyone out because there would be radiation around an area. So that's what a dirty bomb is. And Russia is saying that they've got intel that Ukraine is going to do this. Again, that makes absolutely no sense. So I wanted to know why would Russia say this? And so I dug around a bit. And of course, uh, Tom Nichols, who I feel like I quote almost every week now, but he's a, re- a retired professor with a deep history that of uh, study in Russia and well-versed in nuclear weapons. And he was all over this story in, an Atlant- in the Atlantic in a piece he wrote. Actually, if I recall correctly, it was from a newsletter. But what he says is, and I'll just quote a couple of paragraphs from it. Let me just quote it, actually. And here's, so this again, this is Tom Nichols. Let's hope that this is just the Kremlin trying to engage in scare tactics. If, however, Putin and his circle are really considering a dirty bomb provocation, it is likely because they would see such a plot as solving multiple problems at once. Russia would probably try to flip the script and go from an aggressor likely guilty of multiple war crimes to the victim of a nuclear event. So what he's saying is instead of Russia dropping, you know, being a first-use nation who uses a nuke against Ukraine, Tom Nichols is saying, in this case, Russia could say, look, they used this dirty bomb, which, of course, Russia would be the one who used first, but they would blame the Ukrainians. They would lie about it like they lie about most things, and then they could actually use a nuclear weapon, maybe a tactical one. So I'll continue saying what Tom Nichols says it might then it being russia it might then issue an ultimatum to the ukrainians that elevates the war to a nuclear crisis which is probably the only way moscow thinks it can win now that the russian army lies in pieces on the battlefield the russians in such a gambit would likely be betting that a faked dirty bomb would alleviate the first use stain from any Russian decision to attack, or, as they would almost certainly say in this scenario, retaliate with a nuclear weapon. With nuclear weapons now in play, the West would have to decide just how much to commit to nuclear deterrence on behalf of Ukraine. So, that's obviously a great explanation, and to me, the Russians tried to ramp up the nuclear you know, threats and fear game the last few weeks. It had some success. It obviously scared a lot of Americans. I'll share in a moment some success that uh, actually it had the Progressive Caucus of the Democrats release a letter saying that they wanted Biden to negotiate in a way 
basically so that it would reduce hostilities. They've now withdrawn that letter. I'll go into that in just a bit. But the Russians had some success by trying to scare everyone. And then the West, again, hardened its position, basically told the Russians they were freaking crazy and the world is not going to let them use nuclear weapons. And so they've had to back off of that. But they're still in this losing situation on the battlefield. They continue to get pushed in the south. They continue to get pushed in the east in the Donbass region. And so now their latest deal is, let's talk about a dirty bomb that Ukraine's going to use and we'll be able to retaliate. So that's what I think is happening. The West has done a great job of, as soon as this was started to be discussed, NATO, lots of Western countries uh, released statements joint statements saying there was no intelligence to this, that it was absolutely false. And they did a really good job of getting out in front of these just absurd accusations by Russia so that before Russia could probably really get that story to sink in, uh, they were able to knock that down. So definitely great job by the Western leaders on knocking that down. But that's what Russia's probably gone for. That's why you're seeing the dirty bomb stuff on the news right now. And uh, let's hope that we can push this to the side and just keep moving forward. As I said a second ago, let's talk about that letter from the Progressive House Caucus. That made a lot of news, and even though it's been withdrawn, I want to talk about it for just a moment because there is some good news that emerged from it. So, again, 30 members of the House of Representatives, so there are 30 members of Congress. This isn't the Senate. This is the other side of the House. These are members of Congress. These are all Democrats, and they're also the most progressive liberal members. They released a letter calling for a negotiated settlement to end Russia's war in Ukraine. That made huge news. I'm going to read just a bit from the letter, and of course, they have withdrawn it, but I want to cover this for just a moment. From the letter, and this is word for word. As the risk of nuclear war increases, fighting in Ukraine escalates, and global economic insecurity deepens, 30 members of Congress urged President Biden to pursue direct diplomacy for a negotiated settlement to end Russia's war in Ukraine. In a new letter, the lawmakers, while recognizing the difficulties involved in engaging Russia giving its outrageous and illegal invasion of Ukraine, urged the president to pair the U.S. military and economic support provided to Ukraine with a proactive diplomatic push to seek a realistic framework for a ceasefire, consistent with the president's own recognition that, quote, there's going to have to be a negotiated settlement here, end quote. The lawmakers propose an approach that could include incentives to end hostilities, including some form of sanctions relief, and an international arrangement to establish security guarantees for a free and independent Ukraine that are acceptable for all parties, including Ukrainians. So that's part of the letter. I've got the letter linked in the source notes if you want to go read it. But this caused just huge amounts of news, at least in the foreign policy world. And, of course, Twitter went nuts. And the reason is, is because there are already Republicans in the House who especially those who are a little further right, who are more isolationist, who are against getting involved in foreign entanglements, which I understand that desire, have spoken out against helping Ukraine. They've also alleged that corruption in Ukraine makes it an unworthy potential ally. And some of this goes all the way back to the first impeachment of President Trump. I'm not going to go into all the history, but... When this letter was released, and then suddenly you have, you know, folks on the far left potentially combining with folks on the far right to oppose further funding and military support for Ukraine, that obviously caused a lot of, you know, concern, to say the least. And it was, you know, following in the days after Elon Musk, who helps, obviously, multi-billionaire who has the Starlink satellites that have been so crucial for helping Ukraine. He's talked about a negotiated peace as well. He's talked about the cost of the satellites and they're losing money and that, you know, he's hinted that maybe that can't continue. And so the release of the letter 
added to a freak out that especially with winter coming, that with some of the civilian infrastructure that have been hit by drones in Ukraine, that this needs to end. And so huge news for a couple of days. And then out of the blue, the progressive Democrats withdrew this, you know, in my opinion, misguided letter, arguably foolish. Um, and so they said that staff released it without their consent. Now, apparently this letter was written months ago and signed, but wasn't supposed to be released. That's the story they're saying. I don't know if they're just throwing staff under the bus. Initially, I thought they were frankly being almost cowardly and blaming staff and just not having the guts to just own it. But I have read a little that there were some staff members that felt strongly about this and that they could see that the members just weren't being you know, courageous enough to do it. And so it might have been leaked on purpose. I'm not sure, but either way, to the bright spot I mentioned a moment ago, I am just thankful that the pushback against this letter and how absurd it is that America should go in there and try to tell Ukraine that was invaded in 2014, that had a Crimean Peninsula taken. They were invaded in the east in 2014 as well. That Russia built up its forces using these areas, used in another allied nation, Belarus, and then launched another invasion in 2022, expected to take the whole country, that we're supposed to tell this, you know, these people who want freedom, who just want to be left alone, that they have to negotiate with these tyrants out of Russia who committed unbelievable atrocities, who still occupy their land, who bomb their utilities. Are you kidding me? That's insane. So I am glad they've withdrawn the letter. And the bright spot is, you know, for the moment at least, and thank goodness it's bipartisan support, even those on both the far left and most of the right are still in, you know, basically agreement that as we go into this hard winter, Ukraine needs to be supported economically and militarily. So that's the bright spot. I've got links to all this stuff in the source notes. You can read it if you haven't already read the various letters and all. And I get what they were trying to do. It would be nice if the war would end, but Russia can end this war tomorrow. It can withdraw all of its troops. It can get its troops out of Ukraine. Boom, war over. That's all that needs to happen. And unless they do that, we don't get to tell the Ukrainians what they can or can't do in their own country when they've already had so many casualties, civilians mostly, what gives us a right to go in there and try to tell them what they should or shouldn't do against an unbelievable aggressor and a horrible neighbor? So, like I said, the bright spot, the letter's been withdrawn, and I think as we go into the winter, the funding will continue. Obviously, the elections coming up are important. I feel pretty strongly about this, how you vote. You should research the person that's up in your for the congressional seat in your area. You should ask them, do they support Ukraine? Because this is an important fight. It's uh, I won't go into the long reasons on all the reasons why, but it's an important, important situation. And we need to continue supporting the Ukrainians as they fight for their freedom. And as we try to stop a tyrant before tyrant being Putin, before he pushes further across Europe because he has continually not been stopped up to this point. And we have rewarded him, whether it was invading Chechnya or Georgia, Ukraine. There have been numerous countries. We have drawn red lines. We have tried resets. Vladimir Putin only understands one thing, and that is force. Appeasement does not work. And it's tragic that we've allowed Russia to bully and invade so many neighbors up to this point. But finally, the West has drawn the line. And at this point, we have to assist Ukraine into assist Ukraine as it pummels and beats up a bully because it's that's what's got to happen. And it's no different than what happens on the schoolyard. It's just this is on the international stage. Sometimes you have to confront the bully.
period. All right, moving along. So that concludes our deep dives for this week. But there are a few stories that I think you need to have on your radar, and I've got these linked in the source notes on Substack. That's uh, stanormitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanormitchell.substack.com. First, the uh, news out of Norway. There are... Norway's increasingly concerned about some drones flying near oil and gas workers, and they've actually already arrested seven Russians um, in Norway for flying drones. They think there are subs or vet, uh, Russian vessels nearby. So I've got that story linked in the source notes, um, and the headline's pretty good. It's fears over Russian threat to Norway's energy infrastructure. So those fears are growing a little bit. Um, it wouldn't make sense for Russia to try to get involved in something else again, but nothing Putin does of late seems to make much sense, but they are doing something. So um, I think they're going to, you know, I won't even speculate. But they're up to something. Probably want to read the story. And then in the Middle East, I've got a link to, um, it was something I kind of wanted to get into, but I didn't have time to, frankly. And so I just put a link to it. This is a story that, there's a new threat against Israel, at least as they see it, and there's a new group called the Lion's Den, and it's a newly armed Palestinian group. They conducted a raid, killed five, uh, but this is a new group of young people, and they're even using TikTok, and it's really rallying the Palestinian people. not going to get into the politics on either side, but you do need to be aware that there is a new group of fighters who seem to have the public support. And obviously the Palestinian people have just been in a just terrible situation with little hope. And so people are rallying to this new group of fighters who they aren't afraid to confront Israel in a more aggressive way. So i got a link to that story. And then finally, if you haven't heard what's happening in Haiti, you definitely want to keep that on your radar. It's a uh, just a terrible situation with there's, you know, Haiti's a poor country. It's been hit with just horrific, you know, natural disasters. It's not been run very well as well. And so a lot of things have piled up against them, but they are basically being almost overpowered by armed gangs. There's, you know, unbelievable rising cost, people starving, basically. And their prime minister is asking the international community to intervene. And the U.S. and Mexico are basically in discussions about a non-UN force to help resolve the deepening crisis. And so this is uh, this is something that could involve troops, and it's pretty nasty because even supplies, these armed gangs, they're basically more powerful than the uh, local police and or military. So the country's basically on the brink. And so there have been increasing numbers of Haitians that are getting on boats trying to make it to America. And this is something that if if something isn't done, it's only going to get worse. And so there's a I think the United States is increasingly moving toward possibly in November doing something to try to stop this before it gets too ugly. And then finally, I wanted to before we get to the motivation and wisdom portion, I wanted to share something from the U.S. Naval Institute. Um, and it's just a reminder that. You know, the cost of freedom isn't cheap, even in peacetime. And they shared a story that in 1994, Lieutenant Kara Hunt Holtgreen, I hope I got that name right, was killed when her F-14 Tomcat crashed on final approach to the carrier USS Abraham Lincoln. And that was after a routine training mission off the coast of San Diego. Uh, she was the first female carrier qualified fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy. So this was back in 1994. She obviously died in that crash. So I wanted to share that. Uh, and, you know, in my own personal experience, we lost a Marine in routine training um, in Okinawa in 1999. We were crossing a heavily flooded stream, which was almost more like a raging river. But a, uh, a Marine died that was in my infantry company. His name was Lance Corporal Foster, and I will never forget him um, nor his family. He was married and had two kids. So normal routine training. And so military folks, and even in peacetime, we, we do dangerous things, landing on carriers, crossing raging rivers with a rope, you know, with tons of gear on. 
that you can't swim with. And so we do dangerous things all the time, even in peacetime, to be ready for war if it were to ever come. And I think a lot of times Americans forget it, and I want to make sure you don't forget it. So just wanted to share those stories. And with all of that out of the way, let's move to the best part, the motivation and wisdom part. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that motivational quotes are crap, they don't work, and I frankly completely disagree. And one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager. And so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously. But for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out, and certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college or, or to where they probably wanted to get in life. Because it's hard to be around people that don't believe, that suck the energy out of you, or that are just beaten down by life or poverty or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. But for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams, having idols that I looked up to, whether it's sports figures or people in history, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days, or just some type of leadership event, or just some type of really on fire type event, and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home, and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you, and they're like, oh, that won't work, or you can't do that, it just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, but I think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go. And, you know, I believe all of us can reach our dreams. And I definitely want to do my part to help you get there. So that's why I put these in every week. It's my hope that they really help you. You know, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing, and that's why we recommend it daily. And that's what the great Zig Ziglar said, so that's why I try to put these in every week. So I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. As I say every week, these are some great folks to follow. If you are the kind of person who is on Twitter, you can go to my source notes, find all of these sources, and definitely give them a follow. So let's start with the first one. Um, the first one is... It's quite possible things will turn out far better than you could imagine. thought that was a good one. I'm going to read it one more time. It's quite possible things will turn out better than you could imagine. Don't we all have trouble, like, imagining great scenarios? We always think worst case naturally, don't we? So, again, it's quite possible things will turn out far better than you could imagine. That's a good one. Uh, the next two... I had put something, I had shared something on um, Twitter last week, and I just said, hey, what's your favorite motivational or inspirational quote? If you let me know, I'll uh, share some of them in the next newsletter. And there was a couple I wanted to share. First one is from Pauline Turner, and the quote is, And those who were dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. It's pretty freaking beautiful, isn't it? Uh, it was said by Frederick Nietzsche. And again, the quote is, and those who were dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. I like that. I think we all should probably try to hear the, hear the music instead of just going through the drudgery of life. Look for the beautiful things. The next one is from Garner Fretz, and they shared the following, just the serenity prayer, which we all forget and probably should remember from time to time, which is for those who don't know. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So thanks to both of those folks for sharing those. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to share one and you want to, reach out to me on Twitter or you can send me an email. Share your favorite quote. I'd love to uh, hear it. And if you send it by email, just say what name you would like me to say. Or if you don't want to say a name, you can just put an initial like, you know, J. Smith. And I'll share it possibly in the next episode. So let's keep moving. If you can't be kind, be quiet. Again, the quote is, if you can't be kind, be quiet. Next one. The past is behind, learn from it. The future is ahead, prepare for it. The present is here, live it. I like that. I love mindfulness. That's something that 
a lot of folks talk about from uh, Eastern philosophy, which I love to study. But honestly, I think mindfulness is in Christianity. It's probably in every religion. I've read part of the Quran. It's in there as well. So living in the moment. Don't think about the future. We may not even have the future. And definitely let go of the past. We've got to forgive ourselves and keep moving. So let's move to the next one. Go easy on yourself. Whatever you do today, let it be enough. That is a great one. I am so hard on myself. I bet some of you guys are too. So go easy on yourself. Whatever you do today, let it be enough. Next one. Once you replace negative thoughts with positive ones, you'll start having positive results. That's almost like I planned this as a theme, but I didn't. Again, that one was once you replace negative thoughts with positive ones, you'll start having positive results. Next one. Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you've imagined. I like that one, too. You know, speaking for myself, I work a day job like pretty much everyone out there. And how awesome to think you can chase your dreams and possibly achieve them. So go do it. Next one. Be happy for this moment. This moment is your life. Hey, there's one kind of on mindfulness. Next one. Dreams don't work unless you do. Great. As a reminder, you can always wake up early. I know none of us have time. You can wake up early and chase those dreams. And you can do that without stealing from your family. You can do that by just going to bed a little earlier and waking up early. And, you know, you haven't cheated your family by doing that. You're chasing your dream. Next one. There are two ways to live. You can live as if nothing is a miracle, or you can live as if everything is a miracle. And that was a quote from uh, Albert Einstein, according to Twitter anyway, which maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. You know, sometimes quotes get attributed incorrectly, but it's a great, a great one. Let's go to the next one. Keep your behavior positive because your behavior become your habits. So your behavior becomes your habits. That's pretty good. That was supposedly said by Gandhi. Next one. Time is limited. Your potential isn't. So get moving. Good one. Next one. Don't make promises you can't keep. Reputation matters a lot. That is so good. If you haven't ever heard the term over uh, under promise, overachieve, I highly recommend you do that in your life. So it's under promise, overachieve. So if your boss says, hey, can you get me an email in two hours? If you can get it to them in an hour, say, yeah, I'll, I'll get it to you in two hours. If you can get something to someone in four hours, say, hey, I've got kind of slammed. I can probably get it to you within eight hours. That way, when you get it within four hours, they're happy. But it also buys you a little bit of time so you don't freak out because you know that phone's going to ring or the emails, new emails are going to come in. Some kind of something's going to come up. So you'll get much further in life if you underpromise, overachieve. I'm sure most of you already know that, but for those who don't, next one. If you don't try you'll never know. That's another good one. If you don't try, you'll never know. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. 
As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the... Um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others. If you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them real quickly. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, it's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out. And that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town. And he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action. A couple of cops die before the end of book one. And if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown. Book two is called Gravel Road, and it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand -hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what um, the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Akov, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. Uh, there's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl um, is hot and she takes part in the chase. So uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On. And I talk about, or I write about the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army's just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from on one side, you know, the advancing American troops and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So it, really the book is, it's, it's pretty deep. And so it, the, it digs into the realities of military leadership. And as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish, and will they survive with their honor and dignity? And I think, you know, and I've been told this, that Soldier On just truly defines what it means to be a soldier, to never give up. And then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan. It's called Hill 406. It's about a couple of Marines who couldn't be more different, and they get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation, and it's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. Um, and then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention just real quickly. And then the final book I mentioned is actually it's a part biography, part self-help, all inspiration type book uh, about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And 
besides that, I also share some things about him that you may not know, such as, I'll throw out a couple. Did you know that before he ran for the U.S. Senate, he was crushed by a four-term incumbent who beat him by a two-to-one margin? Most people aren't aware of that. He also coached his uh, Sasha's fourth-grade recreational basketball team called the Vipers while president. That was not super well-known. And then also, the craziest thing, as he's known for being a speaker... Did you know that when he started, he actually wasn't even a good speaker? He admits that himself. So I'll talk about several things I've found out about him as I researched him some. And I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you. Kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking. How he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge like two-to-one election defeat that I mentioned above. And it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough. And so... It's the first one will be on him, and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of um, series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration. It's self-help type stuff. And so, you know, I think you can learn a lot from presidents and... I could go for on for probably hours, honestly, about how it's crazy some of the people who end up becoming president and the things they do to get there. But again, I won't get into it too much. But that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The, how he managed to, with his name, with the background, the mixed background, the lack of money, and the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. So I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much. And with that, I am out.